You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here, and we have a great podcast guest in the studio today. So we're going to be talking about the details of the sober living business model and also investing in real estate. So what's great here is we're going to talk the details, operations, and some numbers on how that works. I know many investors have been interested in employing that business model. Secondly, our guest, and this is what I love, he is very passionate about this niche, and he's been able to parlay that passion and personal experience into a great business and also combine it with investing. So when you can work on what you love on a business standpoint, investing standpoint, in my book, you are winning. So I got my co-host, Jeff White today. How are you, Jeff? Oh, I'm living living the dream, of course. So you've been telling me about our guest today for quite a uh, quite some time, and we finally got him in the studio, and I'm excited. Can you tee us up for us? And yes, him? I have Mr. Kelly Mahana to my left. Uh, absolutely amazing story of perseverance and overcoming obstacles, and I think a lot of listeners will hear it today and be like, if this guy could go through all those things and not make excuses and find a way, um, I could do the same thing. Uh, and his story, I can't even believe what he's been through and what challenges he has overcome. But Mr. Kelly Mahana is an absolute inspiration. So I'm so happy to have you here, Kelly. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> so Kelly, I'm excited to dig in the details. We have talked a lot. We've been kind of shooting the breeze last hour. Um, rewind this and kind of talk to us about your starting point because you you had a different starting off than a lot of our typical guests on the podcast, many investors out there. Yeah. So um, I come from generational poverty. My grandparents immigrated to the United States in 1975. Uh, my mom, so I'm mixed. My mom is Mexican and I'm half white and half Mexican. And I just didn't have a great childhood. I saw my dad murdered in front of me when I was five and a half years old. Um, but even before then, I was bounced around between my grandparents and just other family members in Southern California. And, you know, part of that culture that I was born into was like the gang culture in Southern California and just having nothing and being content and happy and like proud of, of that. I entered the system when I was 10 years old. I spent a few years in juvenile prisons. And then once I was released, I was out for three months. I caught a case and I was initially sentenced to 60 years in prison in the state of Colorado. After eight and a half years, I was able to get 30 years knocked off my sentence. And then around 12 years, I got 10 more years knocked off my sentence. So I got out of prison right before I turned 32. I went to a halfway house. I didn't have any clothes, any family support, nothing. I had to get my shoes from the donation closet in the halfway house. They were two sizes too big. There was a friend of mine who was in that halfway house. He gave me two t-shirts, two pairs of pants, and he also had a pair of shoes. They were half a size too small. And so that's, that's where I started out. Um, and, and I just want to be clear, like I did get myself in prison. Like I, I'm fully responsible. I made those decisions, mm -hmm. even though like that was all I knew at some point I did become culpable for my own actions. And so 
when I got to the halfway house, I didn't have, I, well, one thing, I never thought I was ever going to get out of prison. I didn't change in prison. I didn't become a Christian or find any religion. I was on level four and maximum custody yards, which those are the two highest custody yards you could be on my entire sentence until my last 21 months. And I was an active gang member before I went to prison, during the, my stay, and when I was first released. I was affirmed that that's who I was. And the, the only question was, was I going to die first or go back to prison? I spoke like a child. I didn't have any skills. My first job, I was washing dishes, making $11 an hour. And I... I think this is when like one of the biggest changes for me happened because the owner of the restaurant came to me. Half of my duties as a 32-year-old man were to bust the tables and to wash the dishes. The owner pulled me to the side and he said, hey, Kelly, um, can you just stay in the dish pit? Your aesthetic doesn't look good for a customer base. Mm. You know, so in a sense, I was like, well, cool. Half of my job just got taken away. And then the other part of me just, I felt like a like a loser because I was a 32-year-old man. I was making $11 an hour. I didn't have any formal education. And I just, I was so disappointed in myself and where I had gotten myself in my life. And I could blame it on everything else that had happened throughout my lifetime. But the facts were the facts. And it was weird at that same time, I found YouTube because everyone was always listening to music. I was like, where do you guys listen to music at? You know, and that smartphone, I didn't even know how to turn it on. Oh, and did you were, have, uh, what did you, because when you went to prison, they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have smartphones. Right? <laughs> they did not, no. So when you came out, you probably like, what is this thing? Well, when I got my first phone, I thought it was broken because I didn't even know how to turn it on. <laughs> and then someone's like, that's how you turn it on. <laughs> and then even then I didn't know how to use it. Right. Um, and so that's when, Right around the same time the owner of that restaurant told me that, I was on YouTube listening to music and an ad for Bigger Pockets came on. And because my hands were so thankfully like wet and all that, I couldn't like click skip. You ad. couldn't skip it? <laughs> I couldn't skip it. And so I, I'm like listening to it and it's like some guy like, you could be a millionaire. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, what? And then I just, it was interesting to me. And then so I just started watching Bigger Pockets from there. And then I started like, I, I was really scared. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And thankfully, the halfway house I was in, they were treatment focused. So I'd go to these groups, you know, and it'd be me and 20 other dudes. And, you know, as a gang, well, as a man and, and like how I was raised, you're supposed to be prideful. And then especially as a gang member, you're never supposed to show any sign of weakness. And I'd go in this group and when the therapist would be like, Mahana, what do, what do you have to say? I'm like, man, I'm just scared. I'm scared because I know $11 an hour isn't going to support me when I leave here. I don't know where I'm going to be able to, to live at all. And I don't want to do the things I've done before, but I don't know how I'm going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things start happening all at once. I was a client of GRID, which is the Gang Reduction Initiative of Denver. And so with that, my case manager was helping me get some tattoo removal, um, removing like some gang tattoos. And I'd meet with him weekly and I'd tell him like, man, I just, I want to work with juvenile gang members so they don't end up like I end up. 
he was he became the COO of a pretty big nonprofit here in Denver. He called me up and he's like, "Hey, dude, do you want to work with these juvenile gang members?" I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, how's that going?" I was like, "Well, yeah, it's not good at all. I don't think it's ever going to happen." He's like, "Well, come work for me." And so I was able to like, you know, I I don't know what you call it, but when I was in the halfway house, I was so scared that I put myself around people who were in places I thought I wanted to be. And I'd volunteer all the time. And there was often times where like the, the main person I volunteered with daily who like I, I admired and looked up to, you know, when his organization had an open spot, I was like, Hey, do you think, you know, and I'd been volunteering with them at this point for, you know, over six months. And he'd like pat me on the shoulder and he'd be like, nah, buddy, just keep coming for free every week. You'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, that $20 an hour job, that means nothing to you. That's double what I currently make. And that could change my life. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was disappointed, but I just kept going. And then I, at some point when I was getting ready to leave the halfway house, I was like, <clears throat> dude, I want to open a halfway house because this place has been instrumental in me, like not just getting killed or going right back to prison when I got out. So I went to the <clears throat> multi-purpose room in the halfway house, got on the computer, and I quickly learned like I could never open a, a halfway house because of my being a convicted felon. But then what I also learned was I could open a sober living home. I've struggled with addiction since I was 10 years old, around the same time I entered the system, I overdosed in a maximum security prison, which for those of you who don't know what that means, that means it's a non-contact facility. So the only way to get it in is through staff. And yeah, that was just a big part of my story along with the gangs and everything else. And so I started looking into that. I created my LLC, all the policies and like the stuff that people signed to enter my program. Now I created all that when I was in the halfway house, uh, making like $11 an hour. <laughs> and yeah. So I got my first apartment when I was getting, can I ask you what's the difference between a halfway house and a sober living house? I like, what's the definition difference, right? So a halfway house or what's called community corrections, that's like a state sanctioned facility. And that's directly involved with the Colorado Department of Corrections okay. or whichever state you're in, their Department of Corrections. A sober living home has absolutely nothing to do with, excuse me, the Department of Corrections or like criminal justice or re-entry initiatives at all, unless you choose. So, um, so sober living is like, Chris, you're an alcoholic, you went to inpatient treatment, you, you're getting out, you want to build a solid support system and be on stable ground and not just go back to the same sitting, setting you came from, that's more of sober livings. Now, do those sometimes intertwine and interconnect? Yes, but not always. Great. That makes sense. Thanks. So you... You just, uh, you figured it all yourself and set up the LLC and got the docs set up, right? Yeah, I did. What year was this? This was in 2020. Okay. So four years ago. Yep. And then how did you, I mean, how did you transition? Yeah. So like I was able to parlay that $11 an hour dishwashing job into a $12 an hour fast food job into a $15 an hour fast food job. 
And then this whole time I'm like, I'm buying into bigger pockets because I'm still in the halfway house. And I'm like, oh, I can do it. And then once I locked on the sober living thing, that became my number one desire, goal, dream, and focus. And so I think for a lot of years, I might have been maybe lying to myself and in the sense of saying like, well, once I get here, everything will be okay. But in the meantime, I have to do everything possible to get here. So from my last $15 an hour fast food job, I was able to get a job at the Denver Rescue Mission. The guy who interviewed me, um, he told me in my interview, he's like, hey, look, I don't like you. I don't like the way you look. Every prison dude who I've ever hired or seen work here has never been successful. And I think you're going to be just like the rest of them. Wow, that's a wow. motivational speech there. And th this is how he did it. He was like, but I really respect the person who referred you. So I'm going to hire you. <laughs> and what did they, you say to that? I didn't say anything. Like I was angry and I was frustrated yeah. and I wanted to respond how I would typically have responded throughout the rest of my life. And also I knew his opinion didn't matter and he had a right to have his opinion, you know, like that had been his experience with people from my background. Um, I wasn't focused on that. I was just focused on, you know, the rescue mission paid $16 an hour and fast food don't have benefits. The rescue mission had benefits. They had a health savings account. They had one paid mental health day a month. They had professional development. Because at this point, I was still talking with all the prison slang that I spoke my whole life. So I got that job. And I would stay there 14 to 16 hours a day, every day, because they always were in need of help. And so I was able to eat there because they have food there. I was able to work every single day of the week, whether it was my schedule or not, and always have overtime. And the mission for me was extremely pivotal because I got to learn how to communicate like an adult. And it was really scary for me because the only people who I would see that I knew were, were coming into the rescue mission as clients. And these were dudes, I'm, I'm not talking about, these are guys who I've spent a decade plus in prison on the yard with. Mm. You know, some of these guys were like certified killers and OGs and shot callers. And now I see them out here. They're strung out on dope coming into the mission to take a shower, bro. And it scared the crap out of me. And so the mission was good because I got a daily reminder of what I did not want to be or end up back at and also professional development. And that's when I was working at the mission was when my case manager had became the COO of that nonprofit and called me. Um, and so what I did at that point was I transitioned to working overnights at the shelter and I did case management all day. So I worked two full-time jobs because I still was like not sure of myself. I wasn't sure that I could make the right decision or stay out of prison. Um, so it was hard, but I was really grateful that I had any opportunities because I didn't deserve them. And I didn't have like a paper that said I, I deserved it. I didn't have any work history, any employment history. Um, just really grateful that people gave me an opportunity and they didn't have to. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a, a great reminder. And, you know, looking back at your story there, you, you know, one of the, I think the, the key things you did is you, 
you're putting yourself in the rooms of the people you want to be around, the people you like. Like, I think half of just winning in life, half of winning business is, hey, if you're around the people you want to be, like the people at the table, hey, that's just, you're in the right room. And that rubs off and you get these opportunities. Um, so that's really cool, man. Hopefully very inspiring to other people out there and a, and a you know, good tip for them to take away. I'm really curious to dig into like the business model and the numbers on here. Yeah. Um, and both like from a standpoint of like how the actual operating expenses are. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and also on how, um, like you were able to learn those skills. So bigger pockets. When I started working two full-time jobs, the overnight job, my, my ask wasn't that great. And so I was able to like just watch bigger pockets like over and over in every episode. And like, you know, I watched episodes of Jeff before I ever knew Jeff. I watched you. I watched so many Scott Trench. I watched so many different people and all these different strategies. And there was a few things that always stuck out to me. Like everything, no matter what their specific strategy was, was like, get in the game, get in the game. Yep. And so... That's where I learned that, how I created my policies. I just went and figured out what you have to have to to like be in that space. And then I wrote them all up and they weren't that great. My wife has since like polished them up and made them awesome. Um, but yeah, that's how I did that. And so I would just like hone in. And I knew like when I started working two full-time jobs, I told my wife, I was like, hey, look, I'm never going to have a job that pays me 100K. I'll probably never even have a job that pays me 60 or 75K. But if I get two jobs that pay me 40K, then I'm at 80K. I felt like that was a cheat code for me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to maintain both. And then I was actually able to transition to another nonprofit that paid me a bit more and like all this other stuff. Um, And so how I learned the, the numbers and stuff was I didn't really learn specifically. I just said in my mind how much I, because I knew other programs and what they, their costs were. Like the monthly yeah. the monthly program costs? Yeah, like to be a participant, I knew what their monthly program costs were. And like from watching Bigger Pockets and seeing like, well, hey, if you purchase a house and your mortgage is X amount, if I have, you know, Y amount of tenants, then I could cover X and B plus. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. And and this is something I need to do for myself for a few reasons. One, this has been a lifelong struggle for me. Two, I'll get to get paid to help people and I can change my family dynamic. Um, because it's never gonna happen in corporate America for me. Yep. And so I just did that for 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 the longest time, for years. I worked two full-time jobs. You know, when I first told my wife I was gonna do it, she was like, Yeah, okay, bro. You know, and then after me doing it for nine months straight, she started doing it too. She's what like, What was the, uh, I know you said the motivation was behind it to, you know, you was like, well, I can do two jobs, but most people, you know, even just normal, normal like people with college degrees, they don't want to work two jobs. Like, why did you like want more? Like, where, where did that come from? Like, I'll do whatever it takes um, just to get there because you're at that point where you could pay for rent and all that, even with one job. You didn't have to do two, and you still wanted to. Was it like I did? I don't want to be settled just for this life, basically. Well, you make a good point. And the thing about most people with a college degree is, 
they come from a decent middle-class background Hmm. and they have a certain set of values and they can always get that next 60 to 120 K job if they look for it and they could call mom or dad if they have any issue or a family member or they have a support system and a network that I don't have. I didn't have anything. And I quickly realized even when I was able to get like these jobs at nonprofits and these like case manager jobs without education, that was my ceiling in those organizations I was there like DEI hire. Oh, he's been in prison. He was a gang member. You know, he's he looks white, so that's cool for us, but he's actually Mexican. So we'll we'll hire him. But that's that was my shelf. Um, mm-hmm. and also another huge thing was when I was at work, I felt like I was in prison. It to me felt like I got out of prison just to go right back into prison because I couldn't be myself, like in, in any manner. I just did not feel like I could be myself. I felt like I was looked down upon I, and I was miserable. And for me, two full-time jobs was a cheat code just to equal what your average college graduates beginner first-year salary would be. Um, excuse me. But when I found bigger pockets and I decided that I wanted to do sober living, that was probably the first time I ever dreamed and that was probably the first time I ever thought I could be successful or I could be anybody. And I watched so many episodes of people who were like, oh, like even you, Jeff, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, five years, I got, you know, 10 homes in my portfolio and I cash flow <laughs> over six figures and I still have my day job, you know? And I'm like, to me, six figures was like Warren Buffett type of stuff. No one in my family has ever made six figures. No one in my family, like, you know, that 50K, when I got a $50,000 job, you know, people were like, dang, bro, you're rich. You're, and I'm like, you know, like that's the how low the barrier has been set for the background that I come from. Um, and so I just really started believing in myself. And I knew like I didn't want to feel like I was in prison out here. And I didn't want to give my life to a company who like when I told them like I'd like to be a lead case manager, they laughed at me and said, yeah, okay, you don't have any education. Why would you think you could be a lead case manager? Why would you think you could be anything more than what you are? You really shouldn't even be this because you don't have any education. You don't have the, you know, all the, the things or whatever. And so I realized that like, I didn't want the rest of whatever life I have left to be decided by you, you, or anyone else. Yep. And so two jobs for me was worth it because I knew it wasn't going to be forever. And I'd rather spend however much it takes to get to where I want to be than be stuck forever because I know what forever feels like. I, I thought I had forever in prison. I thought that was my whole life. And I just wanted to give myself an opportunity. Wow. So what was, can you walk us through the, like the high level numbers you talked earlier, you had the epiphany that, Hey, you can buy a house and, you know, mortgage is actually, you know, two or $3,000 a month and you bring in revenue on here. Now I know, uh, with sober living, there's usually, you know, more, more beds and heads and usually uh, a higher monthly rent for the program and, um, and living there. 
but there's also more operational expenses and considerations. Can you just walk us through the, the high level like structure and numbers? Yeah. So, and, and to, let me just be clear with everyone. I was so wrong on what it actually was <laughs> compared to what I thought it was going to be. What do you mean? So like when I, when it was my dream and it was in my head and it wasn't real, I was like, oh dude, it'll be easy because you know, I'm me and like, I'm relatable and like, I've struggled with all the things these people struggle with, you know, and all these other places suck and mine's not going to suck. You know, and then when I opened the first house, I had two people in there for three months and I quickly realized it is a full-time job. So you had the entrepreneurial optimism <laughs> yeah. and then reality meets it, which is that's, that's a very common, yeah. you know, milestone uh, for us entrepreneurs. Um, so the first, cause you had two people for three months. So a very low occupancy is what I'm extremely low. <laughs> what was the, uh, cause going in, you, when you signed that original lease, did you know, did you already have places in mind to like these treatment centers and I, other places that so, you're like, I'm gonna go here, here, here. Yeah. I did, yeah. but initially I was like parole. That's my background. They have a huge budget for this. They'll fill me up. Yeah. And what I quickly realized was I was still on parole. I was a gang member and parole wasn't particularly fond of me. Even mm. though I hadn't done nothing wrong, you know, it's just, so I had to go through the process of becoming a vendor, just all these things that you're not aware of. And then I realized like parole is not the best form of like, we'll call sober living. Like the best forms of sober livings are when you get people who are coming out of inpatient treatment centers. Parole, most of the guys who are coming in through there are just there because parole's like, hey, you're going here, and parole pays for it. Mm -hmm. So they're not even necessarily wanting anything different or desire any change at all, which that makes it a lot more difficult, we'll say. Um, but yeah, so like how I got my first house was was crazy. Um, I had met Jeff along the road. We had went through the whole process. The day we were supposed to close on our home, we lost it. I lost, you know half of all my earnest money because like the seller didn't want to relinquish it. And even though it was in the contract, but it was whatever. Um, well, 48 hours after that, a, a guy who was familiar with the nonprofit I was working with at the time, a business development rep had told him my story. This gentleman happened to be like a very wealthy individual and has a portfolio of over 300 homes here in Colorado. And this BD guy was like, hey, you know, this guy, he's in recovery. I've been telling him about you for the last few months, and I just told him what happened to you, and he'd just love to meet you. So this happened 48 hours after the deal fell apart. 48 hours <laughs> after the deal fell apart. Wow. <clears throat> high, low, Universe. high, low on that, yeah. huh? Yeah. So I go to this house, which ended up being the first location. I'm like, am I in the right place? I don't know. So I like walk back out towards the, yeah. So like I walk, I walk back out cause I think I'm at the wrong place. That's fun. So as I'm opening the gate, I see like this white Rolls Royce pull up. I'm like, dang bro. That's a nice, I've never seen nothing like that in real life. Yeah. Some dude jumps out the car. He's like, Hey, are you Kelly? I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Nice to meet you. He's like, come on in. I was like, Oh dude, I thought it was the wrong place. 
So we go in, and I'm thinking he wants to know about my personal story. Um, so you have the meeting inside the Rolls Royce? No, no, no. We go in the <laughs> house. Oh, okay. Uh, I was saying this drives you around. No, yeah. We go, we go in the house. Okay. And uh, as we're walking around, I'm like, dang, bro, this looks like a house on MTV Cribs or something. It's really nice. You know, and then when we go in the garage, there's also like a Porsche, a brand new Porsche, not like an old one, but like a brand new one in the garage. I'm like, dang. And uh, we just tour the house. He doesn't ask me about my story or nothing. When we're ending the tour, he's like, hey, I heard you want to do sober living. I was like, yeah, man. He's like, I heard you just lost that house. I was like, yeah. He's like, aren't you working two full-time jobs? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so what's the plan? I was like, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing until I'm able to make it work. He's like, I like it. He's like, what do you think of this place? I was like, dude, it's nice. He's like, do you think it'd be a good sober living home? I was like, bro, this would be the best sober living home. He's like, cool, yeah. When can you make it happen? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, if you want it, you you can you can have it to use. Like, when do you think you could start? And he's like, actually, wait. Can you wait until next Tuesday? He's like, then I can move all my personal effects out of here. And then you can be good after that. I was like, I mean, yeah, Tuesday works for me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, cool, man. I got to get out of here. It was nice chatting with you. We shook hands and he left. And I was like, what the heck? Well, wow. then this, yeah. Jeez. Well, so then this number calls me because I didn't have his number or nothing. He's like, hey. Oh, I didn't give you my number. I got it from the guy who introduced us. Let me text you over the codes and stuff for the house so you can go in and this and that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I get off the phone. I call my wife. I'm like, wow. Yeah, dude, I get off the phone. I call my wife. I'm like, babe, you're not going to believe this. This guy said, we blah, blah, blah. It's blah, blah, blah. Wow. And she's like, that's not real. You know, she's I'm, like, you're yeah. getting scammed. Well, right? it, yeah. And my wife, she's, she's black and she's from like the poorest city in our nation. <clears throat> and she's like, bro, don't trust it. Like, you're going to end up going back to prison. Stay away from that dude. Yeah. Sounds too good to be true. And way. then I'm like, but babe, no, it's not. And like, and then when he texted me the door codes, I was like, just come look at it. He texted me the codes. And so we pulled up in the alley. So I opened the garage door. And as soon as she saw that Porsche, she's like, I'm not going in there. She's <laughs> like, I don't like, I don't Wow. Want I was like, come on, you know? And so that's how we operated. For the first few months, we didn't even have a lease, wow. no, like anything. Just that casual, and just that. Nonchalant. We shook hands that wow. one. Did time. you have like a, a master lease price where he's like, "Yo, you're we didn't just have run. anything." Did he? Uh, he was like, he's like, I'm gonna give you like 90 days to figure it out, and then wow. we'll figure it out. You know, you guys were still working two, two yeah, full time well, jobs working, each. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So and, you're kind of finding time somehow to fit in well, to go even look at it. So when I'd go on my lunch break for my day job, it was like five minutes from the house. Okay. So I'd go spend my entire lunch break there, yeah. go back to work. When I'd get off my day job, I'd go there and I'd stay there for like four hours. And then I'd go to my overnight job. And then in the morning before I went back to my day job, I'd go there. And like like I said, for that first 90 days, that was like a free rule. I only had two people there. Mm. And so I, in my heart, I was like, dude, I'm going to lose everything I've been working for and why and I'm trying to figure it all out and then <clears throat> like on that 90th day another guy who like he's the owner and founder and created his own treatment center here in Denver hit me up on Facebook he's like hey you got sober living homes I was like yeah he's like let's chat come to my office so we chat he's like oh, I just want to make sure that you were like 
an okay person. And he's like, hey, listen, uh, how many beds do you have? I was like, right now I have 10 open beds. He's like, okay, I got that. He's like, do you have another house? He's like, because I can fill both of your houses. Wow. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> before <laughs> you even had anything? Before I even had it. <laughs> and then like, it was weird because this this individual, his sister at that time had found out that like, we basically should, that, no, we did. We just shook hands and that like, I was operating out of his, you know, one of his locations, one of his homes. And she's like, my brother's crazy. He does business deals like this all the time. And like my job in life is to figure out every time he does it and then to go make it right. So she cleans it up and yeah, that's organized. When we, yeah, that's when we signed the lease. And and I will preface this by saying like, I was ignorant to like what I should be paying on a lease. And I was living in a space of like, holy cow, this like dude who's extremely wealthy, just like met me, met me, shook hands and was like, do your thing. Um, and and that also played a part into why I was like, yeah, well, I know it's way more than what it should be, but like, whatever. Um, and now I've since learned and grown from that and I won't put myself in that situation again, but it was, it was pretty cool. But that's also part of like, I mean, that's just part of the journey is when you, yeah. when you're brand new and bomb the totem pole like you take what you can and it's usually not the best deal but you get the experience you get the education you get the track record right and next time you can get a better deal like that's yeah. that's awesome and i ended up getting a better deal <laughs> yeah. yeah so you parlayed that into a few more homes so i par parlayed that right? first house into two more homes with that same individual so three homes with that person and i'm currently at four now and my fourth is actually with jeff white yeah let's let's talk about this <laughs> because um, we did our monthly market update for December about a week before we record this. Right. So I'll probably come out for this. And you kind of highlighted that yep. you had, I think last year converted a room by room rental to a master lease. Yes. Kelly. So I was yeah. high level there. So it was a simple room by room place the way I like it with, uh, I love how you say of... a room by room is simple yeah. to, to most investors. It's not that simple, yeah. but keep going. Yeah. So it was rent by room, furnished common areas, great house, like big house, almost too big for all those individuals. Cause they sat in a lot of furniture and had a couple artists in there. So it just got filled with stuff because they started just enjoying the size of the house. Uh, but then I realized, you know, this house is not uh, best used as a, just a rent by room because it's not really maximized the space when uh, the, like, the tenants are just utilizing the full space. But I'm not maximizing the space or maximizing the rents because the location of it was okay location for a rent by room. Um, but the size of the house, I wasn't really... Uh, Use it to the best as if like the highest and best use as we use in real estate. And then I've observed Kelly for the last uh, couple of years. We've became really good friends. And I, he showed me each of these properties that he's running these sober living homes out of. And I was so impressed on like how clean it was, as, as you called show ready condition. Yeah, tour um, ready. Tour ready, tour ready. Yeah. And it was immaculate. And I compared it to my rent by room place. I'm like, oh, my place is not even close to hmm. even one tenth of what uh, tour ready condition is. And I was like, hey, how about when the, the leases come up for this rent by room, let's just do a nice switch on this date. And that's what I did. I lined up all leases to expire on that date. And then on that date, um, they'd all move out and then switch it over fully to uh, a sober living home. And we had to do some modifications at a 
separate washer dryer downstairs, um, little kitchenette down there. Added two rooms. Yeah, yeah. two rooms. Jeff, Jeff yeah. was really gracious and did did what he said he was going to do. Yeah. yeah. So I turned it over, seven bed, three bath, 3,000 square foot house, walkout basement, uh, big house, nice yard, um, right in Southwest Denver and different from where most of Kelly's places are in central Denver. So this is more of like a Southwest pocket of Denver and, but big enough. And what was great is we both didn't do the handshake agreement like uh, your other landlord. Uh, right. We did a lease um, and we could talk about that too. We did a longer lease and Kelly, why do you prefer longer leases? With us? I prefer the longer lease because I, it's not me living in the homes. Yeah. It's a number of individuals and I need to know that the individuals in my care are going to have a roof over their head mm -hmm. and that, you know, Jeff's not just going to be like, oh, well, the lease is up, you know, give me 40% more on this lease or get out yeah. because it's, it's one thing for me to worry about finding somewhere else to go, but it's another thing for me to worry about all the individuals I work with having to find somewhere else to go. So it, it just makes it easier for me and, and gives me peace of mind to know that the people I work with are going to be okay. Yeah. And it's great for me because I was getting 25% more rent or, you know, simple numbers for our viewers, 5,000 bucks with sober living. Kelly's paying me at the master lease. Um, so he's the operator. I'm just providing my place. And then rent by room, I was making 4,000. So huge. Just in gross rents. Gross rents. And what's also nice is Kelly pays the Excel bill. And I was on the hook for that with my rent by room people. So I'm saving a little bit there and a longer lease. And the best part to me is- Well, I and you're operator. saving on yeah. landscaping and cleaning crews oh, yeah. as well. So rent by room, you have to pay for yeah monthly cleanings and landscaping. And what's great too, is they give them chores and responsibilities. So take a step back, Kelly. So when <laughs> someone, the end treatment facilities, I guess, what's, what is that exactly for our listeners? So in, inpatient treatment inpatient. centers, yeah. that's- that's more where you're focused on your therapy and and getting your initial sobriety. A lot of people when they're entering inpatient treatment centers might not even be sober. And so the the goal is to like detox and to let's do some treatment. Let's get you in some group therapy. Let's get you in some individualized therapy. Yeah. Let's try and figure out the root cause of your addiction. Sober living is more that that next level of care in the sense of it's it's a lower level of care, but it's a structured space with like-minded people where you can be held accountable to maintain your sobriety and you also have rules and expectations. So like when Jeff's doing rent by room, people could be using drugs mm. or throwing like ragers in his in his property and he wouldn't know. In my homes, drugs and alcohol are not allowed. We do have cameras in like common areas. There's curfews. We have our own rentals insurance, like not not your typical renters insurance, which is like ten to twenty five k. Like we have our own insurance. That's like if anything happens, Jeff's getting a brand new house. Um, not just that, we we just have we're state certified. We have all these extra levels of you know care or like structure and accountability to make sure that the, that things are good for us and for Jeff. And that's yeah. why like, that's why Jeff is able to get a little bit more on that gross rent generated because one, you know, he's turning his house into, 
you know, sober living, which a lot of people aren't familiar with that. So you think of like all the bad stuff you see in downtown Denver or you hear in the news like, oh, another person died from a drug overdose, all these things, um, which which it does happen often, you know, unfortunately in our society. And that's why there's a huge need for sober living homes. So. And, and Kelly, what, can we talk about? Oh, um, well, so before you get one of the things I always like to highlight, especially like, I mean, you're 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 your mindset for being successful in life is is amazing, Kelly. But like. And that parlay is like, hey, networking is what led to the deal. And then Jeff's always looking for the highest and best use of his property. Mm-hmm. And this is what you know. I, I, I encourage all investors and aspiring investors to, to look for is, hey, network and how to find those win-win situations. That's it's a win for was. Jeff and it's a win for Kelly and it's a win for your clients. Right. Um, so that's great. And that's that's what we want to achieve. Yeah. And this one we'll go to it too. So Kelly, explain how your sober living home um, community or the people you attract, they're not tenants, there's something else. Can you get dig into Yeah, that? so, oh, that's another thing that was like attractive for Jeff. And and let me say, we didn't really touch on this, but like uh, the, the master lease I have with Jeff is my most profitable for the business. So it's the most favorable to me as a business owner. And it's great because it's a win-win. So Jeff is actually making, you know, a thousand dollars more in his gross rents, but it, it ends up being more than that because I do take on the Excel and he doesn't have to pay the monthly cleaners or the landscaping crews no more. And I'm also in the space now where I can generate more revenue for myself as well. So that that's why uh Jeff's deal was was pretty attractive to me as well. Yeah. Um, well, you're also a more experienced operator now too. You have a track right. record. You're like, hey, I've done this, done this. You can negotiate better deals. Like that's amazing. Yeah, and so we don't have tenants. So if Jeff wanted to move in, Jeff's not signing a lease. Jeff is signing a program participation agreement, which means that he's agreeing to abide by the rules and expectations of our program. And if he does not do so, he can be asked to leave at any moment. So it doesn't have the typical like uh, tenant rights and tenant relationship with a landlord because this is not just, hey, I'm renting here. This is, hey, I'm signing a contract and being a participant in the sober living program. Correct. Okay. So what does that mean when uh, like, so you dive into that a little bit more too. So if they drink or yeah so if someone brings drugs or alcohols and into the home that's an immediate termination they're asked to leave the program the reason being is you know we're in a home full of people who struggle with drugs and alcohol you're putting every single other person at risk and unfortunately right now like and probably forever you know colorado more people have died from alcoholism i've seen on this national pool and that's not being talked about on top of our rising overdose deaths from fentanyl so there's no like, oh, I made a mistake because you're actually putting everyone else's life at risk because mm-hmm. that's how serious it is in this field. So if that occurs, well, it's it's a few things. If you bring drugs, alcohol, or, or, or any weapons in the house, that's an automatic discharge. Um, if you relapse, but you don't bring it in the house, that's a case by case. Um, we do have a protocol. So like if you relapse and you come to like me, my wife, or, or one of our house managers you're like hey man i messed up you know there's steps we'll get you in a detox we'll we'll get you an added level of care there's 
there's things that we can do to work with you. But if you relapse, even if you don't bring it in the home, but we catch you because we do do weekly UAs. We do a weekly lab tested UA as well as a rapid tested UA throughout the week and random breathalyzers. Um, then you might not be allowed to stay as well. So it's really based on the individual and, and also say you're on your first relapse and you come clean, but you've been with us for three months and you've just been a jackass and like terrorizing the whole house and nothing but problems. At that point, even though you came to us, we're probably still going to look for another option at that time, just because we want to create the best environment for everyone to be yeah. successful in the long term. Yeah, they got, I mean, you got to take care of the community and the group. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, I know we got a few minutes left on here, but I'm curious, like, what's the the operation side? So I think you and your wife are owners and leaders there. And then you mentioned, like, what type of staff do you have to, to run the organization? Yeah, so each house has a live-in house manager, uh, which means there are eyes and ears on daily everything. Now, are they a program participant they as well? They are also a program participant. And for that, they're 10.99 and how it pans out is they get 50% off their monthly program fees. Okay. Yeah. And then they have a higher responsibility of Yeah, so basically like if if you bring in a drug or alcohol, they're going to reach out and let us know. If you are presenting as drunk or high, they're they're going to let us know. If you're missing curfew, they're going to let us know just like a lot of the the little everyday details. Yep. Making sure guys are actually doing their chores as they're assigned. So, okay. So, uh, you and your wife, house managers. What other employees or vendors or contractors do you have? So, I I am a vendor with the state of Colorado. Um, so for that, like, if if the state of Colorado does decide to say, like, oh, this guy's getting out of prison on this date, we'd like to house him with you. Um, if I have availability, they can send them to me, and they do pay a premium. So they pay me a couple hundred dollars more per month than our typical clients do. And that's because it takes, excuse me, there's just such a long time before we get payment from the state. So like if, okay. if you move in on the first, we can't submit for you until the 30th. And then there's like a 60 to 90 day gap after that. <laughs> And then we also have a bunch of relationships with like treatment centers as well, where they refer us clients. Yep. So, wow. And then operationally, so how do you look at like the college, going back to College View House? How did you, why do you like that one? How is it your most profitable one compared to the other ones besides the rent being a little bit less? Um, well, that's actually how. <laughs> no, so it, well, that's it, probably your biggest expense, right? Sure. Is, is, yeah, rent is, is our, rent. is okay. our biggest expense. And the, like the College View home, so like each of our participants, their monthly fee is $1,000. Their initial fee, we do have a one-time non-refundable admin fee of $250. So like first month altogether is $1,250. Then after that, it's $1,000. What I like about College View is essentially it's two separate homes because you do have that walkout basement and it holds um, more people, but it doesn't feel crowded. So I'm able to, for the amount I'm paying Jeff, as long as I'm reaching my numbers of like 80% occupancy at all times, I'm able to, you know, make at least what I'm paying Jeff, um, which which is good because I still have to pay like Excel, program supplies, insurance, uh, 
certification fees. And all your general overheads. Yeah, all the, my other overheads. and vendor yeah. stuff. And go ahead. I would say, so it's a seven bedroom, right? But yeah, and you're going to do two. Two people per bedroom. Yeah, so I have. up to 14. 13, because my up. house manager has a private bedroom. Okay. So yeah, up 13, to 13. Yes. So up to 13 participants at one time. Yeah. For a gross revenue of like 13,000. 12, 5. 12, 5, okay. Yeah. So they okay. So there's margin there. Yeah. yeah. So obviously. Oh, so you got over it, a lot of overhead on there too, but. Yeah. And I would say the big thing for your criteria is like, you don't want just like a little four bed, three bath house because unless you got for such a low rent, but you like the bigger homes because that's where you can truly maximize the space right. more than uh, the four bedroom house example. So that's why College View is nice because it's 3,000 square feet, seven bed, three bath. Yeah. Doesn't feel like, um, doesn't feel cramped like everyone's living on top of each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I know uh, we were talking about this before, but I know you got your own investing in business goals this year. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we we're talking about before is that you're looking for, you know, hey, you're looking to buy properties yourself, but you're also looking to uh, do more master leases. Give a shout out here because I've had people interested over the years talking about sober living, uh, maybe investors, another like Jeff Shoes looking to pivot their strategy. Give a quick shout out for kind of like, who you're looking to network with and what might be a good, you know, win-win situation like you and Jeff set up. Yeah. So as far as anyone who might have a property that they're looking to like lease long-term, reach out to me. Again, there are some things that I, I do look for specifically. It has to be within, well, one, I want like either Jefferson Park, Denver area, like the Highlands area, uh, like Sloan's Lake by that King Supers over there, mm -hmm. um, or the areas I'm currently in, which are like Capitol Hill, Congress Park, like what is it, Whittier, Five Points, mm -hmm. those areas. The reasoning is because they're within walking distance to grocery stores. They're within walking distance to bus routes, and and that's huge. So central location, high walkability. Yeah, because a lot of the individuals we work with do not have transportation. So they're relying on walking and yep. public transit? Yeah. Okay. And so I do, it's probably going to have to be at least five bedrooms. The more bathrooms, the better. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, on the investing side, I, I'm willing to do something where like if, if we go in on a house together or, or like maybe you pay the down payment, we split equity in the home, but now you get a percentage of the profits off of that home. So- Cool. Same criteria. For yeah, it would be the same criteria. Same. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. No. So, yeah. and for you know, we've uh, we've had a lot of people come on the the podcast, get connected. So hopefully, it leaves some great connections out there. And our viewers and listeners out there, if you you know want to you know learn about sober living, learn about Kelly's journey, potentially look at doing some lease or investing together. I mean, I'd say definitely reach out. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, my email address. Okay. And that's Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y at AuthenticRecoveryHomes.com. Cool. Or we'll, on their website. And we'll put all that in the show notes. And of course, you can always reach out to me and Jeff, and we'll, we'll give you guys a, a quick intro as well. Kelly, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing your journey and uh you know and just kind of sharing the business plan of sober living um i look forward to kind of seeing the future growth the future success as you scale things and also you're going to be one of our authors in the 2024 colorado investing guide so yeah. look out for uh, kelly's goals and you know the the written plan there another way to connect with him so yeah thank you so much kelly and just wish you the best luck as you scale into 2024 and beyond man 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, everyone. Yep. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.